Welcome to the latest installment of Take Back Our Schools. I'm Andrew Gutman, along with my co-host, Beth Feely. We are two accidental activists, parents that saw what was going on in our children's schools. And now we talk about all the things bad and good, mostly bad, that are going on in our education system and how to fix them. Uh, Before I introduce today's guest, I actually want to thank some people here. We've noticed we like a lot of podcasters. We kind of track our downloads and we have gotten a lot of new listeners, thousands actually, over our last couple of episodes. So I want to welcome warmly all our new listeners to Take Back Our Schools. And I thank you for giving us a shot and I hope you'll continue to listen. And those of you that have been here through the beginning or since the beginning, uh, a welcome to you and thanks for sticking with us. So with that, today we have a guest. His name is Jason Littlefield. Uh, Jason is an educator passionate about personal well-being, establishing a society of individuals at peace with themselves and others. He founded Empower Ed Pathways in 2017 and co-designed the Empowered Humanity Theory, a framework for life, leadership, and learning. He served as a public educator for 21 years in multiple capacities from 2014 to 2021. He was a social and emotional learning specialist for the Austin Independent Uh, He has served students and families from around the world. He is an an advocate for decreasing our current human division and increasing personal well-being by bringing awareness to the impact and intent of the emerging ideology, dominating our institutions and permeating the zeitgeist. He does this through a number of organizations, including Empowered Pathways, Free Black Thought, and the Institute for Liberal Values. And full disclosure, I am also affiliated with the Institute for Liberal Values, and I know Jason through that. That is a relatively new organization that is fighting for classical liberal values and America's founding principles and against some of the ideologies that we'll talk about today. And I will add one more thing, which is Jason is one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet. So Jason, thank you very much for joining us on Take Back Our Schools. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, especially for considering me one of the good guys. That's that's nice. You are you are certainly in many ways one of the good guys. So, okay, social emotional learning. This is a term that some people may have heard. Some of our listeners may never have heard. It has been linked to some bad things, but let's start with sort of 101. Okay. What is social emotional learning? What 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 did it used to be, at least? And then we'll get into what it may be today, which is different. You can think about like soft skills. You know, sometimes people have used the word soft skills or character education those those types of things but and SEL specifically was designed to strengthen self self awareness self management social awareness relationship skills and decision making skills so really developing all of those things that make us resilient and that make us able to get along and cooperate with each other is, is essentially uh what social and emotional learning used to be. And how long has SEL been in schools? You know, I'm, people may be familiar with, you know, EQ, emotional intelligence. Right. There was a, you know, self-esteem movement that started many, many decades ago. How long has sort of SEL been a thing? So SEL has been a thing in schools, uh, I think dating back to 2013, 2012, uh, where was the initial Castle Collaborative, and Castle is uh, the Collaborative for Academics and Social and Emotional Learning, which is the umbrella organization that the national leader, uh, if schools are doing 
SEL, they're typically doing uh, something that came out of Castle. And, and is Castle, is it, is it an organization of teachers or educators or is it, is it psychologists or psychiatrists or a combination? Probably a combination. Uh, yeah, various, various people from various different backgrounds. And go ahead. Sorry, like would a would a company like Second Step um, be a part of this Castle Collaborative and be one of the purveyors of social emotional learning? That's one company I was familiar with from when my kids were in school. Yes, Second Step is an endorsed uh, program from from Castle. But what I was referring to that original collaborative, that was when Castle started with a handful of school districts. Uh, around 2012, 2013. And then over time, they got into more and more and more schools. And I was, I was part of one of the original uh, collaborative districts. And I came aboard just at the, like the second year that SEL started. So I saw uh, the full transition of, of what happened to the field. What, what prefaced the beginning of this SEL, the, the formation of Castle and bringing these school districts together? Had there been a study or what, what really prompted the formation? Uh, well, earlier you mentioned uh, emotional intelligence and a lot of, you know, so some of, some of those older ideas uh, just kind of kept, kept going along and, and developing there. And then now, you know, I, I don't know what the intentions were all along, but looking at how the field completely shifted its uh, philosophy and what it was doing, uh, and now it has this deep, deep, wide, far reach, I'm, just makes me curious. Okay, so you wanna you wanna talk about the change? Yeah, I'll definitely talk about the change. Uh, and also, there's a, an essay on Free Black Thought Substack that really details the, the change as well. Uh, my co-author and co-partner, Eric Smith, we wrote a really thorough essay about it. But I, I'll say what happened is in 2020, Castle changed the definition to be called transformative SEL. And now self-awareness, examples of self-awareness from, from Castle include racial, class, and gender identities. Uh, for self-management, it says collective agency. Social awareness, the only thing it says is belonging. Relationship skills, collaboration, and co-constructive. And then for responsible decision-making, distributive justice and collective well-being. So it's, cl it's clear that now social and emotional learning is being taught from a lens of collectivist political ideology. I mean, it's, it, there's no hiding it. There's no getting around it. That is that is what they're doing. And go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but is it do you think that this change had been happening under the surface and they went a little more public with it? Um, and it definitely has a little bit of a not a little bit, a social justice kind of thread through yes. it. Yes. I, I do indeed. Uh, 
So around 20, 2017, um, the time that I started Empowered Pathways, I started noticing uh, themes and the trainings that I was attending. Um, I started noticing that my, my personal values, the things that I held dear to me were now being called uh, values that promote white supremacy. Uh, I started to see and under essentially the, what I called it then, I didn't have much language for it, but I called it Marxism because it portrayed people as this oppressed class or oppressor class. And I was a history major and history teacher. So I know political and uh, philosophies. So I started asking questions. It's like, this is, this is historically dangerous. What are we doing? Uh, but when I started asking questions around 2017 and then 2018, I was essentially excommunicated fr from my working group. Uh, and this was when I, I was, before all, everything started blowing up in the past couple of years. This happened to me years ago, and I was shocked because I thought everybody valued a classical liberal society, regardless of what Democrat or Repu what version of it you are. I thought we all valued a free society, but I, I quickly learned that, that that's not what happened. That and that was so in Austin, Texas, right? Just to, yes. Okay. Yes. Good. So sorry, I just the timing really jumped out at me. That is just about the same time that I noticed some questionable material uh, being you know, present in my kids' school. And that's really when I became aware of, of what was going on and, and jumped in and became, as, as Andrew has coined, our my act, the accidental activist. And so it does make you think, like, what was going on at that time? And was there a little bit more coordination than perhaps people have realized? Um, but lots of the same language. And then also this notion of equity. I saw a lot mm -hmm. of white supremacy um, language as well as this notion of equity. And I think it's all woven together. Yeah, Beth, can I, I want to ask you a question, Beth. Did, when, did, when did you first hear the term SEL, a social emotional learning? Was it back then or was it more recently? For me, it was much more recently. Oh, no, it was it was actually much earlier. I mean, when they talked about social emotional learning when my, you know, now 20 year old was in grade school. So and it was a part of, of kind of anti-bullying. They would they would mm -hmm. do they would have the kids take home worksheets and it would be some role playing. And it was actually I thought it certainly wasn't harmful. It was it seemed actually fairly healthy in terms of trying to, you know, get kids to understand other perspectives and situations and conflict resolutions. But interestingly, they ended up needing to help kids understand the difference between bullying and social conflict because they kind of overtrained, um, which is kind of an interesting side note. Like, and I think when you go into this area, sometimes you end up creating problems where perhaps there weren't any, but that's, that's another conversation. So, um, so that's when I first noticed it. It was not until later. I think I, this, this later transformation and Jason will, will have you get back to that. Um, I think was timed pretty much about with what Jason's talking about. So I saw some of this equity talk and then a lot of these, you know, the surveys and things that I saw coming out were, were a little bit later. So, so I, I know you've written about this and, I, and I've, I've read this elsewhere. The relationship between, you know, SEL and CRT, critical race theory, or between SEL and diversity, equity, and inclusion. What is that relationship? 
Um, marriage. It's like a combination between a marriage and a, a parent and a best friend and a really close cousin. Is one driving the other? Are they complementary? I mean, they're they're all they're all interwoven. And all interwoven. Com- they're all interwoven and complementary. You know, CRT now hides in SEL, uh, and it's 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 those things where people can't really put your put their finger on it, but whenever they do put their finger on it, it's justified. So it is there and it is happening, and every single day that the sun comes up to shine that's another day that it's in our our world and is it in every school in your opinion i mean every public school every private school is it is this a little problem is this a big problem i would say it's a huge problem i won't say it's in every school uh but it like your smaller schools it's not but your larger schools it it is uh and it's one way that it that it is is through teacher training. That's the way that it's really in the system and in grade because our teachers now have this different lens. So which, when our teachers have a different lens of view in the world, that's and the, that's how they're interacting with our students and that's the content that, that, that they're presenting. So what would that look like in a classroom? What would a student be experiencing that would be an outcome of having gone through this SEL training, particularly this transformative SEL training? Well, any language that pre- presents a human being as either uh, privileged or oppressed, and those are, act- those are activities that are taking on. Uh, any, any type of like deep personal criticism without, without a solution that just seems to basically poke at an emotional scar with the intent to disrupt, but not to heal. And that's where a lot of the, that's where, what a lot of this work is, you know, it's, it's done under the guise of compassion and for the most part with the intent of compassionate people, but no matter what their intent is, if their tools are purpose for destruction, then destruction's what what we're going to get. I, I heard the word equity mentioned. I know my former district of Austin, they are now pursuing equity of outcomes. And when schools and businesses and communities are putting these things, these radical ideas in place that can only be achieved through tyranny, I think about the radical ideas that our founding fathers put forth in the 1700s, and it took a war, and it took a lot of struggle and a lot of human suffering to get to that point that they had envisioned for us. We are now doing the same. We're kicking another set of ideas down the road, and it would really behoove us to disrupt that and stop that in the culture and the area that that can be done is through that field of social and emotional learning, is through that diversity, equity, and inclusion work, is through what they call anti-racism work. And another thing I've been doing is developing a set of attitudes and practices that address the shortcomings 
of these well-intentioned movements and that they are rooted in fortifying and strengthen, strengthening the individual mm-hmm. because transformative SEL and modern day anti-racism and modern diversity, equity, inclusion work is rooted in philosophy and practices designed to erode the individual. And it's really interesting because that, yes, and then, mm-hmm. but yet they're in, within the SEL equity, you know, world and movement, there is this real focus on identity, mm-hmm. but that's different from individual. Can you talk a little bit about that? I sure can. Uh, all, so transformative SEL, when they talk about identity work, it is based off of race uh, and gender and these various sexualities. So kids are being asked to- And by various, many. Many. <laughs> many, yeah. right? Not one or two yeah. or three, many. Okay, yeah. sorry, I didn't interrupt. Many, okay. many, many, many. And kids are being asked to put yourself in one of, which one of these boxes do you want to be in? And whichever box you select- determines on how much social clout and social credit that you get. And it just these, and they're, they're based off of our, our biological traits. And the idea that I'm trying to push forward is a value centered identity. Uh, I have, you know, I have value setting exercises where select your values that are important to you and let those let those values determine who you are and your thoughts and your behavior keep them in line with your values and over time reevaluate your values because we need different values mm-hmm. at different points in our time our identity is not fixed so that's one of the barriers that I'm really trying to break through is that basically an intersectional mm-hmm. identity group versus your true self that is guided by the values that you determine for yourself. So I want to, I want to follow up on the values for, for a second. You said you ended that last statement saying the values that you determine for yourself. Are you trying to, you know, if you were talking to, to, to school age children, are you trying to, are you asking them what are the values they hold dear or do you want to inculcate certain values in them? No. What values do you hold dear? Okay. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was doing this with a middle school class and a few kids were like, wow, never really thought about this before. So really seeing them think about what are my values and how do I let my values determine not okay. only my behavior, but also my thinking. Where, where do you in today's day and age? And, and, you know, this is a broader point. We've, we've, there's a lot less religious people. There, there's sort of, to some extent, an attack on, you know, traditional family, whole social media culture. Where are kids getting those values and are they getting the right values? And so my, I guess my, my question is this, if, if they're not getting the right values, which I think a lot of people think, it, it, don't we need to change that? Is, is it enough to just pull out the values from them? Now, I would agree that pulling out the values is better than giving them bad values, but do we need to give them other values that they're not getting? So that, that, a long-winded question. Well, but. yes, ab- absolutely. I mean, th- 
the as adults, it is our job to instill and to curate values of uh, a value of human dignity uh, is one that that I promote through uh, empowered humanity theory. Um, values of not mm. judging people based off of their biological traits. So some of these universal truths that have that, that we've been pursuing for thousands of years, those have been good ideas historically. So I think that there are a lot of value in them today. And you said, where, where are they, where are children getting these values today? They're, they're dominated through the culture. And one thing about the human brain is that it is wired to accept the culture that's placed on it. So just simply by doing nothing and being in the world and not being aware of these new set of values and this new set of things, they're, be, they're being instilled on a neurological level. Have you found that schools feel that increasingly it is their job to teach values versus it being done in the home? It, it seems that way. Uh, it seems that, that there are now more activist teachers and activists for collectivist political ideology, not activists for, I want you to be the very best person that you can be. I'm, I'm here to help you cultivate those skills so that you can grow and so that you can think. Those teachers aren't the uh, majority anymore. Now it is this activist class that are, you know, more about instilling empty political ideology that's historically led to genocide. And I've been, I mean, I think it, they've been fairly open about that. I've heard it articulated in schools that their job is to teach the next generation of activists. So yeah. I, I think that's right. So what do you They're think not open that, about the genocide part, though. Not, no. No, they're not. <laughs> Which I well, would agree but, with, Jason. But I think <laughs> is what you were saying, like uh, the engine behind what they are teaching, this collectivist mind, leads to, it's, it is the same, you know, uh, philosophies that have led to that. I mean, it really is, it really is striking. So, and that kind of gets to my, the question I wanted to ask, what is the end game of this? Is it political? Is it power? Like, because it seems to me that this is, this is about more than educating citizens to become productive members of society, that there is a different undertone and I'm just wondering if you've seen anything that that would that would kind of shed light on that. There, there is no said or stated end game. There is no there are no said or stated uh, strategies. Uh, I for years in professional circles, I asked these questions and I then I two colleagues that believed and practiced this and nobody has any answers. Well, then why are we advancing ideas that it, the only way they can be achieved is through tyranny. If nobody has any answers, if nobody has any strategies for how to do this productively, then why are we continually to advance these ideas. Why don't we pause, pump the brakes, 
have some discussions about what we what are we doing, what are our practices, and then go from there. Are you pretty unique in your opposition to the what has now become the mainstream or transformative SEL, or are there many others like you voicing similar disagreements? Me, me and my partner, uh, Eric, uh, with Empowered Pathways and Free Black Thought, we are, we are two minnows swimming upstream in a hurricane. Um, it's that bad. Okay. It, we are. And the only, re- the only reason why is because I was an SEL specialist from 2014 to 2021 with a history background and a background in the, in the social sciences. And I, un- I, I'm the only one that really grasps and understands what has happened to that field right now. And that has a, a counter set of ideas for people that are like, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. Is there something else that I can use? And that's what I, that's what I created. What about the teachers? So uh, do most teachers understand the shift that's taken place or are they kind of, uh, you know, whatever, it's just a little, another training I have to go to. It's, you know, they tweaked it. Uh, like what is, what are they saying? I would imagine it's a lot of, it's just another training. I feel that most teachers and most people that are advancing the new ideology believe that they are, that they've been handed the baton of the 60s civil rights movement. I think that they believe that they are continuing those efforts and they do not realize that what they are doing is seeking to erode the rights of the individual forever, not just for us, maybe not even for us. Maybe it won't be fully instilled for, you know, 10 to 20 years. What, so do you have, like, what's really behind this? We, we know there's an ideology behind this, and I think we're all in agreement to that, and it's, it's a very scary, dangerous ideology that if you do know history, which unfortunately so few people do, you would see it and recognize it, but most don't. But you know, you kind of said you know earlier there, there's there doesn't seem to be ahead of the snake directing this. This seems to have just taken a momentum and overtaken our entire education system and, and in fact our entire country. So I mean, do you have an idea of, of how this happened? What's really behind this? Because I get that question a lot, and I don't really necessarily I have ideas and thoughts and theories, but I don't really have an answer. And and what is the teachers' union view on it? To piggyback on that. Uh, I, Andrew, to answer your question, uh, Beth, I don't know about the teachers unions perspective, but what is behind all of this? Um, I will say that around 2011, I noticed that I noticed the ideology forming in the distance and I saw it as a way to remake the culture and social organizations of the world. I saw us no no longer were nations and sovereignty. That wasn't the organ, that wasn't the method of global organizing. It was this new thing in the culture that valued these different identities. And I saw us being pit, put into groups and pitted against each other. 
and now the the global order would be based off of this ideological framework. So I decided to to leave education. I moved overseas. I ended up uh, in West Africa, and I I thought I'd escaped. I said, yeah, whenever all that happens, I'm in my little, I'm in my little nook. And then I came back and I was thrust into, I got to be an SEO specialist. And I spent all that time studying, you know, uh, basically what happens when half of the working group becomes quote unquote woke and others don't studying, you know, how does this thing, it's destroying relationships, it's destroying working groups, it's destroying families, uh, because that's what it's designed to do. So I'm really wanting to be a person and organization of support to those out there going through this and looking for alternatives for their schools and businesses. Sounds like perhaps your time away gave you some clarity, like you could kind of look outside in. So yeah, it's probably a blessing. So, you know, one thing I notice with SEL, there's a lot of emphasis on feeling good. There's a lot of emphasis on being empathetic to others, and which are good things. I don't see a huge focus on resilience. I don't see a huge focus on giving skill kids the skills of what to happen when when there is something that is upsetting to you. It seems a little bit more focused on how not to offend someone else so that you don't even get to that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of course there's a balance. We don't want a world where we're, you know, nobody is advocating that kids should always be trying to, you know, create situations to learn resilience, but it is a very important skill. And I'm wondering, do you also see that absence? And then if so, um, how can how can we reincorporate that? Um, because it is such an important life skill. It, it is absent uh, because <clears throat> teaching resilience, that, that's, how, that's, that, that's a way to fortify and strengthen the individual. When the ideology approach is designed to break down the individual, so we don't teach, we're not teaching how to be resilient. We're not even putting those ideas in, in people's heads. Um, so... We need to figure out how how do we incorporate that and how do we recognize, oh, we're now teaching that resilience is white supremacy and whiteness, and we don't do that. So because people like, oh, well, I don't want to be a right, you know, so they stop doing things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's such a culture of you know, eggshell watching. And it seems, you know, one of the most virtuous things that you can do is, is make sure that you are, um, you know, not saying anything that offends and, you know, what, you know, that all of the words are, can be harmful words are violence. I mean, there's such a, such a trend of, of protecting kids, um, not only from words, from ideas, from, and just kind of from debate. And it really is so harmful. And it's an important point that it, that it goes down to, um, tearing down the individual versus building it up. I think that's kind of a a binary that you can look at much of this through. And that's the, that's the binary that I, I look at things through. That's the, that's the binary that I believe all of us need to be looking at the world through right now, because the simple basic concept of individual sovereignty and individual autonomy, that's what's, that's what's at stake here. That's the, that's, 
that's the big that's the big thing that nobody is really is really talking about much. So do you want to talk a little bit more about about uh, empowered humanity theory or empowered pathways and what you're sure. doing to counter this? And is this, you know, is it alternative SCL? Is it unindoctrination? Is, you know, what is it? And, and what can we do? I would say, yes, it, it is both of those things, but I'll, I'll break it down real quick. So empowered humanity theory is essentially a set of six uh, attitudes and practices that cultivate and strengthen what is best within our humanity and mitigate those uh, negative things. Earlier, uh, Beth, I heard you mention how some of these DEI things are, are creating more problems and society is just creating more problems. The, the reason that, that is, that's there is because um, as, as soon as we place somebody, another individual, on the outside of the, of the circle of us, as soon as we see them as somebody different than we see ourselves, then we automatically build the psychological systems that allow us to harm that person. And, and not just that person, but also people that look like them, whether we want to or not. And by harm, it's, it's, the, whole, it's the full spectrum, just from being a jerk online to physical violence we dehumanize each other. Um, and whenever the individual is absorbed into a group, that increases the human capacity for prejudice, aggression, and cruelty. It's so really these, tribalism, right? It's it, tribalism. It tribalism. And, and tribalism, what that, that's from those three capacities. And every single human is wired for prejudice, prejudice, aggression and cruelty to keep us alive. Those are those primitive traits that got passed on to us. And what the, uh, this new identity focus is doing is putting us into these boxes and automatically making us see each other as other. And it's intensifying those prejudice, aggression, and cruelty. So Empowered humanity theory is essentially a way to, un it's my idea of undoing that on a neurological level and on a societal level. So the six attitudes and practices are a, a, a dignity lens, first of all, and by dignity, I mean being able to separate the human part from the being part, like my personality and my biology, that's all my human part. But within, underneath my human part and y'all's human part and everybody's human part is our being. And all beings share two distinct qualities. And that's the desire to avoid suffering and the desire to alleviate suffering when we encounter it from others. So if we can adopt that lens in which we treat ourselves and treat other people into our daily lives. And it takes a lot of practice. It takes in the moment practice. It takes practice when you're, when there's conflict, it takes practice when you're angry, 
So that's one, that's one attitude. And then the other one is how is disrupting those initial thoughts of fear and judgment um, whenever they limit our potential or they limit somebody else's potential. And how do we place those mindsets with mindsets of inquiry and compassion? Whenever we get upset or angry, instead of lashing out at somebody, how do we stay engaged and how do we stay curious to find a solution and work together? How do we see somebody that may look, may appear different from us and not judge them on the color of their skin, judge them on their gender, but how do we get to know this whole person? The, we talked about the value-centered identity. That's also part of empowered humanity theory. And then engaging in practices that build awareness and equanimity, such as, you know, mind, various mindfulness practices, various, and I, I think of mindfulness as brain exercise, just the neuroscience that, that supports that and not, a, not mindfulness as a spiritual practice per se. Um, and then self-awareness, how do we, you know, learn our strengths, learn our shortcomings and use both of those so that we can fulfill our potential. And then practices that build kindness and compassion for self and others. How do we treat ourselves with kindness and compassion? And then how do we incorporate that into our daily lives? How many times in one day can I be kind? How many times in a day can I extend compassion to somebody? And then practices that build, that celebrate our common humanity. How, how, how many times a day can I find commonalities with somebody that I have differences? How can I listen to their story? How can I share my story? How can, how can I continuously connect with my fellow humans? We are all interconnected. So how do we, how can I break these barriers down and, and really be interconnected and thinking about neuroplasticity, you know, we become what we practice on a neurological level. So if these are the six attitudes and practices that we can embed in our daily habits and embed in K-12 systems, I think about how those brains will be after 12 years of really learning how do we honor the dignity of everybody and how can we increase our resilience? How can we work together? Because that's not what's happening now. What I, what I just described to you with empowered humanity theory, I was called a white supremacist for three or four years for trying to get those ideas out into the SEL world. So what is happening in the SEL world now is, is a complete rejection of everything that I just went through. So I wonder what types of brains are they trying to cultivate? A nihilistic, a cynical, and tribal is where we're headed. And especially since, you know, our brains are wired to accept the culture that's placed on it, we're placing a harmful culture on a generation of brains right now. And we, the people, we, the adults, it's time for us to do something different. And I'm here oh. to serve that cause. So how, so you're, but, but you're minnow swimming against the hurricane. I think you said I it. am. 
how, how can we help you? How can others help you? How can we get more people like you? How can you get into more schools? What can we do to help people like you try to change uh, this, this ideology and, and change the mindset that has overtaken uh, SEL in these schools? I'm, I'm at uh, empoweredpathways.org. You can find me on Twitter at Jason, the T-H-E-E, human. And I've also recently set up a GoFundMe campaign called Evolve the Revolution. Uh, and what I say by Evolve the Revolution, right now we're in the midst of a revolution that views you and me and every single one of us as problematic. If we can evolve that revolution to see the individual as something that's worthy and divine, then we will completely flip the script. And I've got a couple of, of events planned this summer that I hope to reach at least a thousand people. And the, the event details are on the GoFundMe campaign. And I hope to replicate those two events all across the country. Um, I've got two things ready to go uh, to empower communities all, all across the country. So this, this GoFundMe campaign is a way to really get, get us going and, and uh, do something different. I was, I was in a moral panic around 2018. Uh, and then I'm starting to kind of feel that, that sense of urgency once again. So I'm ready. I'm ready to go and I'm ready to help. Well, thank we're, you. We're glad you are. And, and we need a lot more people like you and especially, I mean, we have people fighting sort of the CRT front more than there used to be, but right. like to your, to your point, I mean, very, very few that recognize the danger of SEL. And, and tackling it from, from that perspective, which yeah. is in a lot of ways, the more important and deeper, I think, perspective from, from an ideological standpoint. Absolutely. And why it's so important, why SEL is so important and disrupting it there is because the political, the political is the result of the cultural. And if we can disrupt tyranny in the culture now, it won't be on our doorsteps politically. And we we have we have a five to ten year window that that we need drastic change and to step out of our Republicans versus Democrats paradigm and really look at things are way more serious than that at this point. Well, we have a lot of work to do. Clearly. We do, but we have people like you on the front and line, and you guys fights. as well. And you guys, we are with us. you. We, we are, are with you all the way. <laughs> well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on Take Back Our Schools, and we wish you good luck, and hope that we can be supportive and helpful to what you're doing because we certainly need it. Thank you so much. What do you think? Do we think that this is kind of at the moral panic moment that that Jason thinks it is? Or do you think we're before the precipice? Well, I, I think we're past the precipice. I'm not sure we're. Oh, no, I'm going to pessimistic. Uh -oh. <laughs> no, I'm going to pessimistic now. Yeah, I think Jason's right. I think this is really scary stuff. I, th I think, you know, you know, one thing he said, which I think is eye opening. And I came to understand the SEL much later than I understood the CRT or the DEA. 
And when you mm-hmm. hear someone like him, and there's so few like him that understand the SEL piece of this, there's no differentiation. And, it, and it's, you know, it's a conversation, it's pushback. I get a lot at doing interviews and talking to people, you know, it, you know, the, it, it's a classic CRT is not really taught. DEI is fine. All these things mean the same thing. It, it's all the same ideology. And it's really, really scary. We are so far behind. I think we were all, all us, you know, the classical liberals, as I think Jason described it, and I've described myself as that, you know, many times, I had no idea how the schools had gotten taken over, how society had gotten taken over. We realized it in the last you know, year or two, there's some fight back, but to hear that there are two people in the entire country, Jason and, and Eric Smith fighting this, this enormous fight. They're the only two. And I know they're not the only two because I had one other there, one. Yes, on there, the there are some but other there's people, a few, but yes, very that few. have some other ideas, whether in the yeah. DEI area or SEL. So, DEI, yeah, but I SEL will admit is really it few. is a very, it's a paltry number compared to what we probably need. And um, no, I'd, I'd agree. It, it is uh, it is a little scary. I really liked what he said about this values-based approach, because it seems to me inherently unifying across people and, and at least lessens the external focus, you know, on so many of these identity categories that I absolutely agree are just to divide people um, and and put hit them against one another. And it seemed to me that that is, it's also reflective more of reality, where I just think people who share values um, are but easy, qu- easy to connect. I, and I, I agree. You know, when I kind of push back or, or list, you know, tried to get a little deeper when he said the values part of this was that, yeah, it's great to pull the kids' own values out rather than the bad values that are coming top down from teachers or SEL people or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have the good values to begin with, what are you pulling out or are you pulling out anything? And and this gets to the much broader question in society is how we lost some of those values. Well, I think we have. I mean, you could argue we've lost the culture and absolutely that is a ramification and you know, I think you were responsible for your family, for, for the formation of values in your family. For many, that comes from their faith tradition, from those who don't have a faith tradition, hopefully from some sort of morality, which, whether they understand it or not, usually derives from a sense of good and evil, which implies that it comes from a, a faith tradition, but that's another show. Um, so I think that, no, it, it is a problem. I mean, I think you need to be the best role model that you can in the home. I think you need to inculcate those in your children and also, um, you know, to in your spheres of influence. And um, But it is a well, problem. Which, but the spheres of influence of parents, given, I think, how everyone's absorbed in their phones, kids and teenagers especially, is so much less than it was a generation or two ago. I mean, how many families are having dinner together? And even if they are, you know, not on their phones, let's say. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we're all guilty. I mean, we're all guilty of it, to, I think, to some yeah. you know, respect or another, hopefully some, you know, us maybe less than, than most. But are parents really parenting mm-hmm. anymore? And I think that's, you know, one of the one of the big questions of society. And probably a good topic for another episode as well. All right. Well, on that note. <laughs> Should we wrap up and, and well, we'll have a lot of 
more to talk about <laughs> in future episodes. All right. Well, you know, SEL is certainly an ongoing issue. It will continue to be present in schools. Um, it's something parents should be aware of, and hopefully uh, people learned a little bit about it. And then also some empowering, I love the name of his company, alternatives, uh, because it can be done well. I think when, you know, we want kids to be socially and emotionally healthy. Um, and so this is an area that deserves some attention. Uh, but you definitely I, need to know how your school is going about it. And also so that you can evaluate whether it aligns with your family values or it doesn't. But I want to, so, you said earlier, just said resilience is, is, is absolutely paramount. And it is something I think for a very long time that precedes this, we have lost yeah. in kids. The everyone gets a trophy culture, the self-esteem movement leading to the, you know, the microaggressions and everything of, of you know, words can hurt me. One way or another, we got to get back the resilience. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Uh, thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, please do share it. And please give us a positive rating on wherever you access your podcasts. And also please join us again. So on behalf of myself and my fellow co-host, Andrew Gutman, uh, we will be back soon with another episode of Take Back Our Schools. Ricochet. Join the conversation.